You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. To House Republicans, it seemed like a good idea at the time when they sued to challenge a crucial aspect of Obamacare. The 2014 lawsuit challenged the cost-sharing payments that compensate insurers for the subsidies they must provide some people under the health care law. But with Donald Trump in the White House, the lawsuit has become a complication in Republican efforts to dismantle Obamacare. The Trump Trump administration is now the defendant in the suit, and and it's still not clear how it will handle the case. This week, the administration and House Republicans sought to put the case on hold for another three months. Meanwhile, a group of Democratic state attorneys general are seeking to intervene and defend the payments. With us to try to make sense of all this are Josh Blackman. He's a professor at South Texas College of Law and the author of a book on the legal fight over Obamacare. And Kristen Underhill, a professor at Columbia Law School with an expertise in health law. Welcome to you both. Um, Kristen, let me start with you. Can you just tell us why these cost-sharing payments are important in the first place? Yes. So um, under the original version of the Affordable Care Act, um, insurers on the market who insure people who enroll in silver plans have to drop the cost-sharing requirements for people enrolled in those plans to certain levels, um, which means that the insurer would ordinarily internalize more of the costs of care. Um, So in order to provide some security for insurers who are entering this market, um, the Affordable Care Act had uh, several different types of insurance, uh, several different types of assistance for insurers, and one of these was the cost-sharing reduction payments. Um, so currently, about six to seven million people who are enrolled in qualified health plans um, benefit to some extent from these cost-sharing reduction payments, um, and they're they're estimated to be about seven billion dollars this year, and they're a really key protection for insurers that undertake these obligations on the individual market. Josh, what has the Trump administration said about what it wants to do with these cost-sharing payments? Much like with most things in the Trump administration, it depends when you ask. Uh, At some junctures, Trump has said he will continue making the payments. At other junctures, he's hinted that he may not make the payments. And at other junctures, he said he'll stop making the payments to let Obamacare unravel. Um, That's the position of the president himself. In court, the government has been far more circumspect, and they said, well, uh, we're not going to tell you exactly what our intentions are, but we want the court to put this matter on hold. So if there's any legislative action that occurs, we can you know, revisit this. There's no sense reaching a difficult legal question if Congress will um, amend the bill. Um, the difficulty is that the insurance companies, as far as I can tell, have been getting the money all along, and they're worried that at some arbitrary point the money will stop. And Kristen, what would happen if that money would stop? What would be the impact on health care coverage in America? 
There will be a few different impacts. Um, so if insurance companies stay in the market, they still have these obligations to provide low, <clears throat> excuse me, low levels of cost sharing. And so that money has to come from somewhere. And so the most likely place that it's going to come from is increasing premiums. Um, so currently I'm looking at three different estimates here. And it looks like premiums may increase by 20 to 25 percent um, across the board. And this may not just be on the exchanges. It may be premiums kind of uh, uh, among all, all different types of plans that insurers offer. Um, so premiums may go up. And if that happens, actually paradoxically, um, the advanced premium tax credits that are available for consumers on the exchanges will also have to go up because they are pegged to the premium costs on these plans. Um, so it would, in fact, cost the government money to stop making the cost-sharing reduction payments. Um, people would also be more likely to opt out of the mandate due to hardship exemptions if premiums rise, um, which would further undermine the effectiveness of the individual mandate and would undermine the markets. Um, so, uh, but, you know, the, the much more immediate and, and concerning consequence would be that insurers are going to leave the market entirely. And, and some have threatened to do that if they don't have some certainty about the cost-sharing reduction payments. Josh, g given all that and given the, the basic Trump administration position, which is that Obamacare should be repealed and replaced, is there an obvious good option for the Trump administration or is it just something of a dilemma about how to handle this lawsuit? So there's an element here we haven't talked about, which is the actual law. Uh, it, it's my oh, we'll, we'll get to that, Josh. Go ahead. That plays into it because Attorney General Sessions, his position is largely informed by the fact that payment of these subsidies are illegal. Um, he said that as much many times. So it's not about whether you want to keep making these payments as a matter of policies, whether they're lawful. So I think there's a huge tug of war. And on the one side, you have the attorney general who says these payments are illegal. On the other side, you have people like Steve Bannon who say, let this thing burn. And then you have the other wing, you know, the, the, the Kushner wing, whatever that's worth, who's saying, no, we need to save health care for everyone. So it's this odd trilemma where all these things are tugging Trump in different directions. And so far, the best that they've come up with is give us time, let the House and Senate figure something out, but don't go ahead with this litigation. You're listening to Bloomberg Law, and we are talking about the lingering court fight over Obamacare. Uh, new developments in the case this week, originally filed by House Republicans against the Obama administration. Our guests are Kristen Underhill, who's a professor at Columbia Law School, and Josh Blackman, author of the book Unraveled, which has told the story about the legal fight over Obamacare so far. You may need a, a sequel to that book, Josh. Um, Kristen, um, Josh pointed out a moment ago that we hadn't really talked much about the law. Tell us about the legal claim in this case. What, what are the grounds that, that the House Republicans are raising and what chances do you think it has of success if, if a court were, if, if were to, to go ultimately to a ruling on the merits by the appeals court considering it? Yes, well, there's two different issues at stake in this case. And the first was the, and the, the novel finding that the House, as one chamber of Congress, would have standing to sue the administration uh, based on uses of funds that weren't specifically appropriated for the purpose they're being used for. Um, so up until this case in the, DC, uh, in the District of D.C., um, that, that precise issue hadn't ever been decided. And so this was the first case to find that, that the House could, in fact, sue based on the, the use of unappropriated funds here. Um, so that was one of the key issues on appeal and may in the long term be uh, more uh, could could unleash more litigation in the long term depending on whether the president and the house are of different parties um, so that will be a big question on appeal and I think depending on 
Um, it was initially expected to be reversed on appeal, but who knows? Who knows what would happen with that? Um, and then the, the other issue is whether or not there was a specific funding allocation for the cost-sharing reduction payments. Um, the Secretary of HHS, Burwell, back at the time, um, said that it was included in the appropriations for advanced premium tax credits, um, the tax subsidies that an individual uh, policyholders uh, received under the, under the law. Um, but that was dismissed. Um, that argument was was uh, very much criticized in the District of D.C. And so we were, it, was a, it was an open question what, where it would go on the, on the D.C. Circuit. Josh, a uh, federal district judge, agreed with the, the House members who sued. Um, did you find that uh, ruling convincing? Oh, I did. In fact, you mentioned I should write a sequel. Unraveled is the second book I've written about Obamacare. I'm actually working on a third book, which will probably come out in 2020 or so, called Undone. Um, the district court uh, decision I found extremely persuasive. And let me give you a little bit of background about this bill. Um, there are two types of subsidies at issue. Um, one was subject to what's called a permanent appropriation. That is, Congress doesn't need to renew it every year. If there's a government shutdown, these payments continue. The other is what subject is, is subject to what's called an annual appropriation. That is, Congress has to uh, every year create a new appropriation. Now, here's what happened. During the time this law was being implemented, the sequester was in effect, which meant that for permanent appropriations, all the money would be spent. But for annual appropriations, there would be a 10% cut. That is, the insurance companies would only get nine cents. Uh, I'm sorry, 90 cents out of the dollar uh, for their payments. So the Obama administration actually requested that Congress not appropriate money for the insurance companies for these subsidies. And they came up with this convoluted argument that really this other pile of money was sufficient to pay for them. Uh, this was merely a means to evade the sequester, but they got caught. The failure to actually appropriate money lies with the Obama administration. And now they're trying to argue that this other pot of money, which was permanent, covers it. It doesn't. Uh, this is a fairly black-letter violation of uh, appropriations law. What makes this case unique, as Kristen mentioned a moment ago, is that it's being resolved in the courts. This was the first time that such a suit has ever been successfully brought by one branch of uh, uh, Congress. Kristen, there is a, a new motion filed, I believe it was yesterday, by a 15 state attorney, attorneys general and the District of Columbia seeking to intervene in the case to, to help defend the cost-sharing payments. Do you see that as a, as a, well, first of all, is that likely to succeed? And if so, uh, could that have any significant impact on, on the way the case comes out? Yes, I, I, there, so there's two ways that they could succeed in intervening. And um, before moving on to that, I should note that this is the second motion to intervene in the case. Um, back in January, several policyholders, individuals who had enrolled in qualified health plans actually filed a motion to intervene, um, saying that the price HHS would no longer adequately represent their interests um, and that after, after the change of administration, and that was rejected back in January. Um, but now that's right. We do have 15 uh, states in the District of Columbia um, trying to file a similar motion uh, based on the injuries that are occurring to the states with the uncertainty of managing these individual markets. Um, the, so some of the consequences that I've already mentioned above are, are coming to pass now um, as insurers are trying to file multiple sets of papers, trying to manage whether or not they'll be on the exchanges. And so 
they could succeed as a uh, as of right, having a right to intervene in the appeal, um, if their motion is timely, if they can show a legally protected interest in the action, um, and showing that no one in the case, no existing party, is adequately representing their interest. They may also succeed, however, as a permissive intervention, um, because they they do have claims that are that are adjacent to the issues the issues in the case, and. Um, intervening won't delay or prejudice uh, the adjudication of the of the other rights at stake in the case. And so I'm I I I am hopeful that the motion to intervene would be granted and that they could take up this uh, this piece of the appeal. Josh, we have all of about 20 seconds left, but I do want to ask you one thing. Democrats have criticized the Trump administration for using these cost-sharing payments as a bargaining chip. Do you think that's a fair fair criticism? This is how government works, right? When Congress fails to appropriate money, the president can decide not to spend it. What we have here is a violation of the law. And even people who defend the government on standing generally think that they're breaking the law. So I see – maybe Trump sees this as a bargaining chip. I see that he's trying to follow the law. Okay. I want to thank Josh Blackman and Kristen Underhill, our guests, talking about the legal fight over Obamacare. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.